Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And man, I have an unbelievably special guest on today. And I'm, I, I, I don't even know how to explain to you the respect that I have for this guy. Um, Bob Donnell is my guest today and I'll be bringing him on here in a second. Wait until you hear his story and you feel his energy and it, it's it's going to, I think it's going to change some lives today. So I want to welcome my good friend, new friend, Bob Donnell to the show. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm I'm so grateful and honored, man. You know, and you're you're sitting in your office right now. <laughs> My office, home, you name it. Yes. <laughs> I love it, man. So so you um I like to, you know, kind of go over what the show is. Like the the show I created this show a couple of years ago. Um, I've been through a lot of ups and downs in my life. And then, you know, I've had a tremendous amount of blessings in my life. And I thought there's gotta be a way that I can give back to the world on a massive scale. And I think that by hearing other people's stories of how they've hit roadblocks and busted through them, I was just going to call this show like, um, you know, get better or something. My, my wife's like, your last name is walls. Why don't you call it breakthrough walls? <laughs> I go, love it. love it. I married up. So yeah. <laughs> so, Hey, we got our buddy, Joe Ingram on the show. Mr. Joe. Ingram. I love that dude. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about, why don't you start by telling everybody where, where you were born and raised, where you're from. Yeah, you know, I was born in Oklahoma City, uh, but I, I moved from there when I was two. So I grew up in Southern California. I spent most of my life there. I've lived in multiple states, but I've always returned back to California. Um, and and recently, most recently, I moved my residency to um, Boise, Idaho. And so I live wherever I am and Boise. Okay. <laughs> I I said I I said something to you. you said I'm I I have a home address, but I'm more like a nomad. <laughs> and I'm like I love pretty that. much love that pretty much. Yeah. So 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 you grew up in Southern California, and um, I mean, is that like where you went to to school, high school, all of that? Well, I went to six different high schools. I went to over twenty different elementary schools. So, um. Yeah, just moved around a lot, um, raised by a single mom, never knew my dad. And uh, so, you know, I always just thought we were just moving for the sake of moving. I, I had no idea why we were moving. Uh, you know, later on, I found out we just couldn't afford to keep the places we were in. Uh, and so mom was, uh, you know, doing her best to just, you know, keep a roof over our head. So um, by the time I was, both of my brothers are 10 and nine years older than me. So by the time they were, uh, you know, 17, I was, I was seven. So they were pretty much out of the house by the time I was, by the time I really remember a lot of them being around. Wow. So, so, um, did you, did you, I'm, did you graduate from high school and go on to college? I did. It was a, it was a touch and go there for a long time, whether I was going to make it through or not. But, um, you know, I remember a great, a great story about my mom that um, I share a lot. You know, when, when I look at commitment, um, I always think of the pictures that we develop about commitment. And, and, you know, obviously one is definitely my mom. And I remember my mom was di diagnosed with cancer when I was 15 and she was given six months to live. And, and I remember getting up in the morning or, you know, early in, in the morning, like two in the morning, I would give her morphine shots. Oh. And, uh, and I, and I remember one night I, I, I come out and she's out on the porch and she's crying. And I go, mom, are you okay? She goes, yeah, okay. And I said, are you, are you in pain? Do you need another shot? She says, no. I said, well, are you, are you afraid of dying? And she looked up and she's Bobby. I, I know I'm not afraid. Of I said, what's, what's going on? She says, I'm sitting here and I'm afraid that I'm not going to make it to see you graduate from high school. And I remember thinking, the wow. 
the chemotherapy, the morphine shots, the, the, the knowing that you're not going to be around. And the biggest concern you have is you're afraid you're not going to see me graduate high school. So she died in October. I didn't graduate till May. Um, so she didn't see me graduate high school physically here. But, um, you know, it was just such a great testament to me that, you know, sometimes the things that we're committed to um, can be huge on an emotional effect. Yeah. Um, and on a physical effect, me graduating high school really wasn't that big of a deal, but to her it was. So I graduated high school. Wow. <clears throat> wow. And did you go to college? I went to two years of college. Um, I founded my nonprofit organization working with suicide prevention and crisis management uh, when I was 19, 18 and a half, 19 years old. And so at that point, um, my board of directors became my college. I had a psychologist, psychiatrist, marriage, family therapist, sergeant of narcotics for LA County PD, an attorney and a, and a public school principal. So I had a great board of directors. And during that time, um, I realized that that really was my education. At 18 years old. Uh, yeah, I found it in 19, I think, is when I first started. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. What? Okay, what was the, and it was suicide prevention? Crisis management and suicide prevention, drugs, all that stuff. Work with kids, typically. Uh, you what? know, I mean, it, it was interesting because, yeah, yeah go ahead. Why? <laughs> I'm just like, what? Okay. what the, so, something had to be driving that, like, I would think. <clears throat> The interesting thing is, is I've, I look back now and I see it. Then I didn't really understand what was going on. Like so many things in our lives, right, Ken? Yeah. yeah. And um, one, you know, one day I was, I was just with some friends and some people. And all of a sudden this gentleman walks up and goes, hey, Bob, Bob you know, what do, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I'm 15 and a half. I mean, really? really? I, I don't know. But why are you asking? And okay. he says, well, you can learn a product or a service or an industry, or you can learn one thing that will drive every product, every service in every industry. And I said, what's that? And he goes, human behavior. If you understand human behavior, you'll be successful in whatever you're doing. And I went, fair enough. Sign me up like, kind of facetiously. But, um, you know, what he knew was that my mom was plant. you know, medically speaking, they were saying she wasn't going to be around much longer, more right. than four or five months after that. So she, you know, in his mind, he was trying to, lay the foundation for me. I, I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, but when he said, yeah, I said, well, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go back uh, when school starts, I want you to become a peer counselor at school or through your church or whatever. I'm like, okay. So, so I went and did that and had a great time, great experience. Um, and at 19, I had, um, a kid that I was working with. He was about 14 and, um, you know, I was just doing my best. And all of a sudden, um, his dad, his stepdad, who happens to be an attorney, said, Bob, uh, come by my office. And I don't know about you, Kim, but when you get called to an attorney's office at, at 19, you go, what did I do wrong? What's up? What did I say? What did that kid say about me? Type of thing, you know, like, what did I do? Right. And, uh, at right. 19, uh, or any kid, right? And at right. 19, and so all of a sudden he says, um, I, I come by his office, I sit down and he goes, hey, look, I just want you to know you're doing a really good job uh, with our son. And uh, I need to play a bigger game. And I looked at him and I remember going, what's that look like? And he goes, well, <laughs> yeah. I think you need to file a 501c3 nonprofit. I think you need to start going out and speaking and raising funds. And I think you need to put together a board of directors. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so who's going to want to believe a 19-year-old kid? And he made this great statement. He said, if you have an attorney on your board of directors, other professionals will feel protected. I'll be the attorney. Oh, my and God. And in that moment, I learned borrowed credibility. That's all that was, was borrowed credibility. So he told me, make a list of people that you know that are psychologists, psychiatrists, things like that, police, police officers. Make a list. And then... Um, I'm going to tell you exactly what to say to him when you call him. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I know my friend's dad is a psychiatrist. I know my other, you know, this, this guy that I know from church is a, as a Sergeant PD. And listen, here, here's what you want to say. So he said, exact, called him up all seven, uh, six of the seven said yes, immediately. 
the seven said, when I get back into town, um, let's have this conversation. He got back next week and said, yes. So what I learned was wow. one borrowed credibility. And then what I learned was to ask. And um, my, my good friend, Mark Victor Hansen, I'm going to give a book. He is doing a new book called Ask. And I, I couldn't say it better when we were talking the other day about it because asking is so important. Um, and, and that's what I learned from that experiment was I needed to ask and that, I needed to have that. That, answer, that is so awesome. At 19, that, at that 19, I was blessed. That that's crazy. And, and who would have thought? So, so, so you, you, you started the nonprofit, you had a board of directors at 19, mind blowing. Um, crazy. And, and so what, what transpired from, from there? I mean, did it, did it grow? Did, did it, what happened? With yeah, it? It, it grew and um, it grew and, and, and Flourish did some great things, helped a lot of people. Um, and, and then it just kind of ran its course with me. I thought, you know, parents are better off. People are better off doing this on their own. The community can do this better than I can do it with one person. And so I, I just, I, I just did that, but yeah. it was great because one of the cool things that my board of directors did and why I said they became my educational system was because my psychologist, psychiatrist, and marriage, family therapist, they all agreed to work with anybody I brought to them for free kids or adults, but wow. they said on one condition. And the one condition is this. You have to be. You have to sit in on every session we give away. You have to be willing to sit in on that that session. Oh and my so god! I probably sat in over. You know, by the time everything was done, I probably sat in over three hundred sessions. And you think about that. Um, one of one of my friends' dads was a psychiatrist at USC or, or a school of medicine from uh, USC, and he says, "Bob, he goes, do you understand that your education is better than mine?" <laughs> and I was like. Wow. And, um, you know, it was just really, really, um, I've been, it's always been impressed upon me, uh, as, as my friend Les Brown says, it's always been impressed upon me to, um, to learn and to experience what others have experienced and learned and, and then take and adapt that to what I need to use it for in my life. Gee, many Christmas, man. That, I mean, that is an intense, that because you can't what you learn in those 300 plus sessions, you can't learn in any college, even on a PhD right. level. You can't, it's not, not possible. Wow. Right. That's hands on. So, so what, um, did, uh, so you went on what, what happened next? What was your next venture adventure? I should say <laughs> <laughs> adventures, right? Um, you know, I became um, a regional sales manager for a company and worked with them. And the, really what I learned in this whole learning behavior, human behavior is I just wanted to learn and, you know, I had to get jobs to make money. Right. So right. I would take jobs in all kinds of different fields. Like I would sell construction tractors. I would sell office supplies. I would um, work with insurance company. I'd work with the real estate company. I was always looking to say, how does human behavior um, affect this industry or how does this industry affect how people behave right and so i was always looking and you know and it, it was it was great because it kept food on my table but it all also it was great so i have some great uh, great mentors in my life and, and i've always just believed that if you just learn from others you can avoid a lot of costly mistakes and um yeah. so i made it a practice and i'll give you one I went up to a guy one day in my church that made six million bucks the year before. Everyone knew it. Everyone talked about it. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know, can I buy you breakfast? And I'm out probably 25. And uh, he says, yeah, sure. So we sit down for breakfast in the next couple of weeks. And he goes, I know why you want to have breakfast. He goes, I, I you want to ask me how I made all that money that everyone's talking about at church. Yeah. And he's really humble, humble, nice, really nice guy. And I said, yeah. no, you know, I really don't care about that. I said, I've got a different question for you. And he goes, why? And I said, well, one, just because you made money that way doesn't mean I'm going to make money that way. So I right. said, but I've got a different question. He said, what's the question? I said, the question is this. Who did you have to become in order to make that money? That is brilliant. And he looked at, he looked at me and he goes, I've never been asked that question. And I said, well, I believe, and it became one of my next level pillars, 
I believe that the quality of your connection will always be determined by the quality of questions you ask. So that's my question. And he goes, I'm going to have to think about that. Don't know that. I said, here's my next question. I want to work for you for free one day a week. One day a week, un, uh, you know, undefined n- a number of di- uh, weeks, just until we both agree. Um, but I want to work for you for free. And he says, Bob, I'm 42 years old. I'm retired. I got nothing for you to do. I said, man, I'll be your gardener. I'll wash your car. I'll, I don't care. He goes, why would you be willing to do that? I said, I just want to be around you and see how you live your life. And he said, okay. So he invites me over to his house a couple of days later and says, um, you know, let's get in the car where we're going. I said, uh, I said, where are we going? He goes, you know, when somebody's mentoring you, don't ask. <laughs> just do. So I learned that really quick. Got in his car. We drove down uh, to oh, downtown wow. Los Angeles looking at this huge skyscraper. Uh, and he goes, we're going to go to the top floor. We're going to meet with a, a company that I'm thinking about buying. And we're going to meet with their CEO and their attorney and their, their CFO. And I'm going to have my CFO and my attorney there. And we're going to oh go sit God. in this boardroom. And, and you're like, 25. Oh, yeah, I'm like 25. I go, so what do you want me to do? He goes, be a fly on the wall. So that's one of my programs is fly on the wall because of that oh statement. So I go, I can do that. I can do that. So we get to the top floor. Get this, Ken. This is the best part. He, he literally says, okay, sits down at the, board ta- uh, the boardroom table. And he takes the P&L that's out on the table, hands it to a CFO and says, I want you to go through this line by line with Bob and, and show him why this does or doesn't make sense for me to buy this company. Wow. And the CFO looks at me and goes, all right. So he says, so we should sit there and do that. Then after we get done with this, the P, uh, takes the, the contract, takes it and hands it to his attorney and says, I want you to go through this contract with Bob and I want you to show him what would need to be changed for this to be a contract I, would be, I should sign. And so he does this. So every day that I work for him, one day a, a month, I, one day a week for six months, every day that I worked with him, it was like that, Ken. I was getting wow. a PhD in business. We were buying and selling companies, buying and selling real estate, going to shareholders meetings. Going, I mean, I was going to his you know, doctor appointments. I was doing everything <laughs> as a mirror or, I mean, just mirroring this guy and just learning. Uh, how he lived his life. I, I sat down with his, his wife and dinner and his son at dinner. You know, we wow. would have dinner at their house. It was a first class uh, education. And I've done that with over 75 people since then. Oh my God. And, um, I have had the most amazing experiences. Can, uh, um, you know, uh, can I share another real quick one? <laughs> Bob, we have all day. <laughs> this, this, this was really cool i'm driving i'm driving down the road and this is probably a couple of years after that and i'm driving down the road and I, I look over and i stop at a stoplight and i look over and this is san, in uh, san gabriel valley and i look over the, and the guy sitting next to me is in a rolls royce and he's from india i think you're going and he he looks over and i look over and drive to the next stoplight and we pull up again and i'm like hey that must be a sign so i roll down my window and he rolls down his with a touch of button. Mine's a little Hyundai XL. And um, his is a Rolls Royce. So he touches the button, rolls down, and I said, can I buy you lunch sometime? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, why? And I said, I just want to learn. You've obviously done some things I haven't done at this point in my life. I just want to learn. And he goes, hmm, pull over. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to get his card. We're going to set this. I call. I walk up to the car. He goes, get in. Oh, my God. Hyundai XL. I'm going, I'm climbing into a Rolls. I'm leaving my hand there. So I'm okay with that. So I get in the Rolls. We, That's a throw, throwaway car. So yeah, just take trade. it. <laughs> in the trade. So we, we, we get in the car. We're dry, uh, I get in the car. We're driving along. And he's literally telling me a story about coming over here from India. Like, I think it was India. One, like one family member at a time bringing him over until he's amassed this fortune. And he's, He's showing me, he's driving me around and showing me apartment buildings and commercial buildings that he's bought. And he's showing me and and I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. So we pull up to this one apartment building and he goes, we're going to go in and and check on my investment now. And I said, okay. So we walk in and he he walks right over to the the property property manager and he starts talking to her and he starts asking about the kids and he starts asking about her husband and, you know, just this great, great conversation. And and then we leave and I get in the car and I go, you know, um, I, he says, what did, what did you think? And I go, well, I, I kind of was expecting you to be, you know, like 
going through the rents and seeing if, you know, all the balancing and everything else. He goes, the only investment I need to make and watch is the investment of my people. And he goes, and that's all I concern myself with. Everything else will take care of itself. Because that's what I got CPAs for. That's what I got my attorneys for. But when I come in, I want them to know that I see them as a person. And I went, noted. And wow. uh, that was a powerful thing. So, like I said, over 75 of those situations have been very blessed. People have just opened the door and said, here, Bob, here's what I know. I asked Luke Thodem, the, the, the guy that about the apartment buildings, we were having lunch right after that. And he goes, so why would you get into a car that you don't <laughs> even know anyone you don't know the owner. I said, because I wanted to learn. I said, I got a better question. He goes, what's that? I said, why would you let a stranger into your car? And he, he laughed and he, because you wanted to learn. He goes, Bob, I can name on one hand the number of people that come up and say, teach me. Please just teach me what I need to know. He goes, versus give me something. Uh, yeah. Give me a job. Uh, do, do, he goes, nobody does that. He says, so I wanted to teach you. And uh, we had a great, great conversation, great uh, relationship. And uh, he's, he's since passed away. And it was really, uh, really, really many years uh, before I found out that he had already died. But it was, his name was Luke Thodem, Thodem Properties, downtown LA. Amazing wow. human being. And that there's such a valuable lesson in what you just said. And I know you already know that. But for anyone watching, like I have a, a young man that came to me several years ago delivering pizzas for a, a pizza company and and um and he delivered a free pizza to me now it had pineapple on it so i was like what the hell is this <laughs> who puts pineapple on their pizza but anyway and he says he said hey i saw i used to have a show on grant cardone's network and so he said i saw you on grant cardone's stuff and and I didn't even know you were here locally in Columbus and I want to work for you. And I'm like, dude, I'm not hiring pizza delivery guys right now. <laughs> like, and he goes, no, 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 no. I'll work for free. I'll clean the bathrooms. I just want to be around you in college. And, yeah. and so I taught this kid marketing. He worked for free. And now he works for my buddy, Jeffrey Gittimer full time. Like he's like, <laughs> I love it. right. So that's yeah. what, but that's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about is there aren't people like people come with their hand out instead. And I think it was, was it Brian Tracy that, that, that said years ago, he, I, I think I read it in one of his books, like go work for somebody for free if you have to, mm -hmm. to get the knowledge. Right. It's Absolutely. Absolutely. It's unbelievable, Bob. I'm I'm blown away already. So so you obviously you went and um you became a a, a somewhat of a business icon, right? <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but <laughs> Well, hey, we have some amazing people watching right now. I don't know if you can see the comments or not, but I my god. I can't see any of them yet. Ben Gay the third. I don't know if you know hey, him ben. or not, but Ben is amazing. Um, Vicky Fitch with some amazing people on here. So I know Vicky, I know Ben Gay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, those are friends of mine too. So so um what happened? I mean, at some point though, you got into a business, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I start, you know, I started multiple business. I started one, a little a little coffee business. Uh, uh oh, we're you're frozen. Uh oh, and uh, I found there. Oh, there, right there. It keeps cutting me off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think me? you're Can back. You? I think, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you just had a hiccup okay. there for a second. Oh, that's weird. So um yeah so I found a coffee supplier. Um, and then I thought, you know, there's all these little, uh, real estate offices and insurance offices and hair salons and stuff that serve coffee. What if I could just take them prepackaged coffees and sold them, uh, to them and they could just order. And, uh, so what I started doing is I said, okay, I'll bring you by a case. And then I would find out that how often they order, how often they needed it. So it saved their, their office managers from having to run out to the store and get coffee. And I would bring these prepackaged coffees into them. And then I started giving them the other uh, creamers and all that stuff. And so I built it up. So I, uh, I had these, these offices 
that would just order or they would say, okay, bring me two cases a week or bring me whatever. And so I built that up and uh, that was a blast. It was a, it was a, it was a great experience to just learn to build something like that. Um, and uh, then, uh, you know, man, then I started a company called, um, well, I started doing consulting and, and training for companies. So 20, you know, go back 22 years ago, I, I witnessed a car accident that took the life of my three-year-old daughter. Mm. And, um, and in that moment, um, in that moment, nothing really mattered as far as wow. teaching people how to make more money, teaching people how to sell better, teaching people how to time manage. And I really went, you know, I'm done tap out. And I was living in my car, lost everything I owned. It's a long story, but I had, I lost everything I owned. I was living in my car and, and I, and I thought, you know, I better do something because psychologically this is, this is affecting me, uh, really big. And so, um, Oh man. One day I was living in my car and I thought, you know, I better do something about this. So I started writing what are now uh, my book, Mastering Your Inner Game. It's the seven pillars of Mastering Your Inner Game. So I, I began writing it then. Then um, the interesting thing was I started saying, how do I reframe a tragedy? Because if I don't get over this, it's over. So I started working on some different techniques and some, some different strategies. But um, it was during that time that I said, I don't want to teach people about making money and all that stuff. I really want to focus on one core pr uh, pillar. And that one core pillar is who you are is more important than what you do, because who you are will determine the quality of everything that you do. And wow. when I wrote that down, I said, that's, that's the statement that I'm going to live by. That's the statement I'm going to, so everything I've done since then have been built on that principle alone. And that pillar is who you are more important than what you do because who you are will determine the quality of everything that you do. And um, so I started going out and speaking, speaking on organ donations, speaking on, you know, loss of a child, um, speaking on uh, to corporations and to sales organizations about, you know, getting this, this part right so that you have a foundation to build your sales career on or your business on or whatever. And so that's kind of where it took me. So since then, I've really been focused on, uh, helping teams, companies, and individuals um, build a foundation that they can that they can truly build their business life, whatever on. You know, um, for those watching, if you haven't seen Bob's um, TEDx talk that you mm -hmm. did, I think in Sugarland, Texas. Yeah. Um, holy moly! So you told a story in there, and I don't want to get too far ahead in the timeline, but whatever we can do whatever but um you you told a story about because I, I i told you i had a really i'm not gonna go into it because she's within earshot but i had a really bad nightmare the other yeah, night yeah and 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 your your story that you told during your tedx talk about garth brooks mm -hmm. and yeah. and that whole um interaction like i can't Anybody that says, and you know, I could say, man, I'm so sorry for your loss, but like, I, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine. And I don't think I ever want to really imagine. I mean, it's, it's, no. it's, it's a, it's, it's just absolutely horrific. How, and, and you said that Garth Brooks asked you the question, how do you get over that? How does a father get over that and and in the tedx talk you said you just went on and talked to garth for about 45 minutes so i yeah. my question is how do you get past that man how, I, and i know you can't ever i don't think you could ever get over it but how right. how do you move on from there you know um it was yeah it was it was a powerful question that garth asked because um, we were really having a deep conversation for 45 minutes or so and and his, when he asked me the question, I remember thinking, you, you don't get over that and you don't, you don't get past it. You get through it. And, um, it's kind of like when I go to do these, these, like the Vegas shooting, or I just went to Saugus, I just went to the Walmart in, in uh, El Paso. When you're talking to them, they go, how do you, how do you get, how do you get over this? I go, you don't, you get through it. If you get over it, you're escaping, you're, 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 you know, you're not really working through it, get through it. And so I think the hard thing is one to be able to ask the hard questions, 
You know, the thing I loved about Garth uh, and that interaction was because he was willing to ask the hard questions. Nobody asked me that question. Nobody says, how do you get, oh my gosh, how many kids do you have? What do you, here's one of the questions he asked me that blew me away. Nobody ever asked me, do you, do you have any other kids? I said, yeah, I have three. He goes, do they ever ask about her? I'm like, yeah. He's wow. like, what do you, what do you tell them? And I'm like, holy cow. Here's one of the biggest entertainer, in my opinion, and, and he's asking this question. And for 45 minutes, he was dialed in on asking me really powerful questions um, rather than just surface level. We never talked about his music. We never talked about that he's my number one artist of all time in my book. Yeah. He ne we never talked about that. And I think, you know, to a dad or to a parent or anything, the thing I will say is you don't get over it. You go through it. And that means... Maybe it's a wall that is 10 miles long and you just keep going. You mm. just keep going. And I think when you, when you learn, when you realize that it's with business or anything else, you just have to keep going in that, you know, in that time living in my car, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't. I, mean, I could literally just hear myself saying this over and over again. I'm like, Whoa, this is scary that my brain is now conditioned to just think this. And I said, okay, then what's one thing I know I need to do right now? And mm. so I went and did that. So I created a program, a program, three steps for dealing with situations like that. One is acknowledge it. Hey, look, when I woke up and I didn't feel like getting out of bed and I was miserable and I was sobbing. I just said, okay, yeah, I lost my daughter. I have every right to feel this way right now. Mm. Now, second thing, I put a time limit on it. How long am I going to allow myself to feel this? Now, if it was a really bad case, I might allow myself a little bit longer. But if it was a short, you know, if it's like, okay, I just need to get over this right now, then I'll spend that little time just to sit, digest, think it, think the process through. And then the third thing is, is once you've given yourself um, permission, then you've given yourself a time, then you give yourself an action. And the action is I'm going to go do something for someone else. I would literally, again, I would literally go to the store and sit in the parking lot and wait for somebody to come out needing help with their groceries just to be in service. I would go and see, a, uh, drive down the street and see somebody's trash can sitting out on the curb and I would take them and put them up by their gate. You know, I was yeah. doing anything I could to take my eyes off of me and put it on someone else. And I'm telling you that three-step program has worked. Uh, if it works, if it works when you lose your child, oh my gosh, it can work on on anything. And uh, so I did that a lot. And I think the other part of that is the reframing. I think we have to get become masterful at reframing. And so, can, yeah. can I share with you how I reframe that? Yes, please. Okay. I can't. I, yeah. So reframing that, you know, again, remember when you reframe something, it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't say it didn't happen. Um, so here I am. My mom dies when I'm in high school. My daughter dies. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do I reframe this? And I go, how about if I reframe it as my daughter, Macy, is the first grandchild fathered by me that my mom gets to hold? Hmm. Wow. Because my mom, right? That's the first grandchild father made, and she's in heaven with my mom. So then you have to anchor that, though, Kim. Maybe you don't know how to anchor this. Bob, you, have to you can't make, have an emotional curtsy. I asked you not to make me cry. <laughs> don't. Well, like, that's beautiful, man. That's, that's absolutely it, a beautiful way to reframe that. My gosh. Wow. It was, it was very powerful, and it was very powerful for me and every when I share this internationally or nationally, it doesn't matter the language barrier. It always, it always has an impact. So, so then you have to anchor it emotionally. So here I am, I go, okay, so what would that look like? So I watch, I envision my daughter coming through the gates of heaven, my mom sitting up on a chair and my mom saying, Macy, come up here and sit on grandma's lap because I've got some stories about your daddy that you're going to want to hear. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Ooh, that's an emotional thing. So I see my daughter climb up on her lap and then I go, okay, so now it's really hammered home. And I go, what would those stories be? What would three of those stories be that I know my mom would want to tell her? 
And then I recount the stories, all three of them in in their entirety, as if I was my mom telling my daughter. I tell you, every time I went through a process where I was like, just frustrated, overwhelmed, um, angry, whatever. Every time I did that, it brought me back to center. And, uh, and I think that was one of the most powerful things that I did for myself and that, uh, that I've been able to help with a lot of other people. So you ask me, how do you get over it? You don't, you get through it by doing things like that. They're not easy. They're emotional. You're crying. It's, it's tough. Um, and, and yet that tough, that toughness is what makes it, um, makes it even more applicable to life because life can be tough sometimes. I don't care how motivational you are. The, the the Bible has a great thing. It says the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Doesn't yep. matter. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so I I almost broke down on that. That that was so freaking powerful, man. Um, how long ago was that? Now, how long is it? That was about twenty two years ago. Twenty two years. My gosh. Um, so you have other children. I do three 30 year old daughter named Brittany has got two kids married, got a 28 year old son who has a, I mean, a 20, yeah, 28 year old son who also has a six year old son. And then I've got a 26 year old son who's uh, currently in the military. Wow. That's awesome. And, and so Gosh, my brain is like I I, I I was I was afraid of this. I, I don't I'm I'm it's such an emotional thing. I told you I have two daughters and it's like I can't I can't like <clears throat> you never want to think about that. Like it's it just right. you know. So um <clears throat> along the way, and Joe Ingram's dropped a comment a little bit ago saying you need to tell the Garth Brooks story. I'd like you to tell people about the card. The card. Yeah. On the back of a card, I wrote, yes, my life is better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. And that's a, that's part of our song called the dance. And so I said, I'm going to give this to Garth someday. And, and I work a lot of events and I, and I, I, I'm around a lot of celebrities and stuff. And, so it's like, okay, I'll, I'll run into him at some point. And, um, but for two years, he was, every event that I was at that he would have normally been at, the Academy of Country Music Awards, he wasn't there. <laughs> and so I kept thinking, this is really bizarre that I'm missing this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, one day I'm at this event uh, at uh, WB Music Awards, no longer, it's something else now, in Las Vegas. And um, I'm standing back uh, in, the, in the auditorium with a couple of the different artists and all of a sudden on the PA comes Mr. Garth Brooks, please come to stage rehearsal. And I'm like, I didn't know he was going to be here. So I had to walk up. And so I walk up to him and um, after he's coming off rehearsal and, and he looks at, I, I hand him a card. And I say, Hey Garth, can I have a, mi- a minute? And he goes, sure. So I hand him the card and cause I carried it in my wallet and he just looked at it and Ken, it was just like this. He looks at it and goes, we need to talk. And we spent 45 minutes of him just asking me questions, him just asking me about my kids, him asking. It was just this amazing uh, time. And I remember crying. And I remember, I remember like, Garth, please, you know, please don't think I'm, I'm a stalker. I, you know, this is just, I don't cry when I'm meeting celebrity. And he goes, Bob, he goes, this isn't about celebrity. This is about just two guys having a conversation about something that really does matter. And, uh, and I remember I, those, I don't know the exact words, but that's basically what he said. And I remember just thinking, wow. Um, it was, it was a powerful time. And then I, I've been with him a couple of times since then. And every time has just been the same. He is the most present individual you'll probably ever meet other than Jack Canfield and Joel Osteen. Probably the only three that I say are that present. That's amazing, man. And Garth, I had, I had a goatee like you have for many, many, for 20 some years. And Garth is the reason I had a goatee. (laughs) So he's one of my heroes. I love that dude. He's amazing. Oh, he is. He is. So, so, um, and then Joe said there was another story about, um, Tim McGraw, who is another one of my heroes. 
Tim is an amazing guy and I've been blessed to be around him a few times. And, um, he's always, he and Garth, they've always been the same, no matter where the environment you're, you're just, you're getting the real deal. Yeah. And, um, so I was with Tim uh, a couple of times and never, um, never had a real long conversation with him. It was just always pretty short. And, um, but one day I'm at Staples Center and it was the Grammys and it was day of rehearsal. And um, I'm standing out in the audience uh, in, in just audience rehearsal time. And I'm just kind of standing back there. And I noticed Tim's maybe, you know, 10 feet away from me or so. And, and Faith is up on stage doing her rehearsal. Yeah. And Tim looks over at me and goes, Hey, uh, do you have a, do you have a lighter? And I'm like, no. And I'm thinking, well, shoot. So I said, let me, let me go. So I go get a lighter and I come back and I hand it to him. And he goes, thanks. I said, yeah. And he takes the lighter. Faith is up on stage doing rehearsal. You know, everybody else is doing stuff in the stable center. just rehearsal. Right. And Tim takes the lighter and does this. That's awesome. And there's like, there's like three or four of us standing there and we're like, ah, that is so cool. (laughs) So, Faith, Faith realizes it, sees it, and starts laughing. And then she comes down off stage and comes out. And we, we're standing there and maybe talk three minutes. Yeah. And it's basically them talking, and I'm just kind of hanging out. And um, so fast forward, I don't know, maybe a couple of years later, I'm at, uh, I'm at a restaurant across the street from the Honda Center, which is with Anaheim Pond. And a lot of concerts and the Mighty Ducks play there and all that stuff. And yeah. all of a sudden, I'm standing there waiting for some Mike, some of my clients to show up, and Tim McGraw comes walking up. Oh and my! I, and I look at him, and I'm like, "What?" The? And I realize he's playing that night at the Honda Center. Wow! Okay, so, but now, so here's what I teach in Connectology: you have to learn memorable ways to get someone's attention. Yeah. So in in Connectology, which is a course I teach about connecting with people. So I said to him, I said, hey, Tim, do you mind if I share a story about you and Faith and myself? <laughs> now, what's he going to say to that? <laughs> no, say, no yes. get out of here, crazy man. Talking about me and my wife? Yeah, I want to know why you're talking about my wife. So um, I said, great. So I recount the story really quick. And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, I just want you to, I just want you to know that you gave me one of the coolest privileges to even be witness to that. And I just want to thank you. And he goes, oh, oh thanks, man. So I said, enjoy your lunch. He goes in with one of his bandmates. He goes into lunch. And uh, my clients show up and we sit down at the, at the table and, and I take out a business card. Now, this is important to do. This is what you do because this is who you are. Yeah. And you don't have any other expectation and you're just doing it because who you are. So I take my business card and I wrote on the back of it, hey, Tim, you've been such a blessing to others. My turn to bless you. Lunch is on me. Wow. And... So I just, I just give it to the waitress and I said, can you, uh, can you take this over to that table there and give it to the guy in the baseball hat? And the waitress didn't know who it was. So a waitress goes, walks over, hands it to him. And, uh, and he looks across the restaurant and goes, thanks. I go, that's awesome. Except when he gets up to leave, he walks over to my table and says, Hey Bob, it was good seeing you again, man. You want to introduce me to your friends? <laughs> my relevancy went Boom, at right. that table. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and yeah. so that was me being who I am. And then that was him being who he is. Wow. And all I had to do was just be me and then let him be him. And then fast forward six years later, I'm, um, it was during commercial at one uh, award show that he was at a country music Awards, And, I walked over to him and I said, Hey, Tim, I just want to remind you of a great, uh, one of the greatest privileges you ever gave me. And he says, what's that? And I said, you gave me the opportunity to buy you lunch one day. And he goes, really? And I go, yeah, JT Schmidt's crossing the pond. I came over and, and I, and he goes, I remember that. Yeah. And I said, that was such a privilege for me. Thank you. And he goes, Oh, thank you. He's a really cool. He's a class act guy. Yeah, I I can tell. That's amazing, dude. And, and, you know, like, so here, here you are, like, you're not, uh, how do I say this? You're not highly formally educated. (laughs) Like, you you don't have like the, you know, I went to Harvard and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, No. 
but but like you've learned to connect with like like the top people in the world i mean yeah you know yeah. you talked about sharon lecter and she's a good friend of yours and uh, you know yeah, you, yeah. I, I mean you you're you're friends with joe ingram i mean that's huge <laughs> right there right i mean garth <laughs> wants to be friends with joe ingram right good luck garth so so <laughs> But like you've connected with all of these massive people and that has had to have an impact on you financially in a positive way, I would imagine over the years. Um, it's, it just wouldn't be possible to hang out with, with, right. It's the, the five, yeah. the five people rule. Um, like you become who you hang out with. Would you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I could, I, I mean, I love when Jim Rohn said that. I think that's just such a powerful statement for everyone to understand. You know, you are the average of the five people. I think one of the, one of the catches is you're the average what? Well, you're the average health. You're the average relationship. You're the average finances. You're the average everything yeah. based on who you hang out with. And, and so there I started a, an organization called Next Level by Association 10 years ago that Joe's a member of. And, and we sit down and we have a, a formal dinner once a month. And it's based on that because I truly believe that it's not just um, who the people you hang out with because they're they're brought into your life for a myriad of different reasons. You were raised with them, you're you're married to them, you know, whatever it is. Right. But it's, right. What about an intentional peer group? And that's what Next Level by Association is. It's an intentional peer group where you say, what are the characteristics and behaviors that I want in my life, and then surround myself with those people that have that, and now meet with them at least once a month, but most of them we meet, you know, many, many times during the, during the course of the month as well. Do you know, Sherry Gideons, she, she said she met I you. I do not. She said she met you at Lee Steinberg's Super Bowl party in Phoenix. Oh yes. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. Oh, it was a great time. Yeah. Love, love, love Lee. Lee's yeah. such a dear friend. He's such a good man. So, so yeah, you, Sherry, thank you. I'm sorry. I, yeah, Sherry, Sherry is, she was in the, she's like an international bodybuilding champion from years back. And she's an amazing woman. She's died twice. <laughs> I, I've had her on the show. She has died wow. two times and she knows what goes on on the other side. She knows. So, um, it, which is fascinating to me. I, you know, I, I've, I, yeah. I, I told you I have over 17 years of recovery and, you know, there's this, it's, I truly believe that AA is probably one of the biggest spiritual movements on the planet. Mm -hmm. But, but like I learned, you know, years ago after I got sober that we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And, Absolutely. and then, along the way, I've just met all of these people that have confirmed that. I mean, seriously. So, so yeah. you, when, you know, I know you run into people and you've worked with thousands and thousands of people all over the world, um, that, that get stuck. Maybe it's the loss of a child. Um, maybe it's the, maybe it's a, um, a, a financial thing or a job loss or an abuser, abuser in their lives or, uh, you know, whatever it is that you've run into people that are stuck. What, mm -hmm. in your opinion, what do you think the number one thing is that keeps people stuck? Because if you're stuck emotionally, I think you'd agree with this. You're going to be stuck in every other area of your life. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, one of the next level pillars that I taught that is um, that I teach a lot is called whatever becomes acceptable becomes inevitable. And mm -hmm. so um, good or bad. And so, uh, you know, I truly believe that when, when we're stuck, it's because we've made it acceptable to become stuck. Mm -hmm. And when I say, when I say that people resist immediately, but let me explain when I meet somebody and they say, you know, I'm, 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 in this abusive relationship. And I say, well, how long has it been acceptable to be in an abusive relationship? You know, Ken, the number one answer is always the same. Whether I say, how long has it been acceptable to be broke? How long has it been acceptable to be fat? How long has it been acceptable to be unhealthy? How long, no matter what the question is, the answer is always the same. Never. It's never been, Bob. And I go, oh, there's a moment of acceptability. <laughs> so 
I, I told this woman who kept complaining about her weight gain loss, weight gain loss, weight gain loss. And I said, well, when, when did it become acceptable to be fat? Now I said fat on purpose because I wanted to, to jar her. Right. You know, she's called herself overweight for years. That's yeah. That's not going to do anything. So I wanted to jar her. So when I did that, she says, well, never. And I go, oh, no, there's a moment of acceptability. Can I, can I explain when it was? And she goes, yeah, when? And I said, when was the last time you went to your closet, you pulled out a pair of jeans, and you put them on, and they fit so tight, so uncomfortable? She goes, uh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I go, what did you do? She goes, uh, I said, did you wear them anyway? She goes, well, no. I took them off. I said, that was the moment of acceptability. Because now you said, I'm not going to put those on. They're too uncomfortable. Mm. I'm going to wear a looser pair of pants. And then tomorrow when you went into the closet, you didn't reach for the tight pair of pants again. You went to another looser pair of pants. That was the moment of acceptability. And she said, what was I supposed to do? Wear them? And I go, man, the tighter, the better, honey. The tighter, the better. The more uncomfortable you are, you'll do something about it. And she went, wow. So, so then we had to go back and look at Ruth, right? Yeah. What was the real cause of that? Yeah. So I asked her, hey, what was, what was the first time you remember an older man looking at you uncomfortable and making you feel uncomfortable? She just kind of looked at me and like, wow, uh, 15. And I go, tell me the story. She goes, walking through the mall with my mom. My mom was very attractive, very well endowed. Yeah. I was forming and she, all of a sudden I remember a man looking at me and I became uncomfortable. I said, so when did you start wearing baggy clothes? Oh, wow. Because I noticed her clothes. She goes, oh, uh, maybe when I was maybe 17, 16, 17. I said, do you see any correlation? I said, see, you no longer wanted someone to look at you and make you feel uncomfortable. So you made it acceptable for them not to look at you. And therefore, you started doing behavior that uh, allowed that to happen. And she wow. said, what do I do? I said, do you want a relationship now? She says, yes. I said, do you want a man to crave you and really desire you? She says, yes. I said, then you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to start making it acceptable for men to look at you. And she says, what do I do? And I said, let's just do a couple things. Let's take the baseball cap off. Let's just, let's just put them, some eyeliner on. Let's just wear clothes that are a little bit tighter. Not, not tight, but just tighter than what you're wearing. So she did that. And over the course of the next six, six or seven months, she had a transformation. She lost weight. She started feeling better about herself. She got into a relationship. And it was all because whatever becomes acceptable becomes inevitable. Wow. Good or bad. Wow, man. That's powerful. That's powerful. So if, if, if somebody were to call you right now and say, Bob, I, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't, I, they, they repoed my car last week. The electric's getting shut off tomorrow. Um, I, I've done everything I know how to do. I, I don't know what to do. What do you say? To, and you've been there, obviously, like living in yeah. your car. And, and But <clears throat> what do you say to that person in that moment? And I realize that there's a variety of different situations, but how do you get that person out of that, that it's cause I truly think I've been there and it's, and I look back and I go, sure, man, it, it, it had so much to do with the way I was thinking about life. Yeah. What do yeah. you say to get somebody over that hump? Um, well, one, the first thing I'm always looking to, to ascertain is this a critical situation or is this just, you know, a frustration or an anger or whatever? So first thing I always realize is that um, there's a next level pillar that says, um, well, let me, let me explain why I would say this to them. The first question I'm going to ask, have you ever been in this situation before? Mm. Because if I ask them that and they say, well, yeah, I've been, you know, this happened. But one, I realize it could be a pattern, right? Yep. Um, and when willpower collides with patterns, patterns win. So I want to recognize if it's a pattern. One, two, then I say, well, how did you climb out of it last time? Right? Mm -hmm. um, and that gives me some indicators what they did the last time and then reminds them that it's possible. So then I might ask them, um, you know, so if they say, no, I've never been in this situation before. So what do you think makes this situation so unique? Mm. 
And all I'm trying to do is get them to verbalize and talk because in patterns and recognition of, of their language patterns, we can yeah. really help them better if we understand that. So that's what I'm looking for is patterns and language patterns. And then I'm looking for belief systems and values. So when I hear they're, un, they're overwhelmed, um, here's one of the pillars. Unfulfilled expectations lead to anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration, and overwhelm. Yeah. If somebody expresses any one of those, those comments or multiple of them, I know that they simply have an unfulfilled expectation. So then I say, well, what were you expecting to happen in your life by now? What were you expecting to happen in that relationship? What were you expecting to happen in your career? Whatever that is, what were you expecting to happen? And what we're going to do is we're going to zero in what the unfulfilled expectation was. Yeah. And then we can start really doing some work. You know, when somebody has a wife or a, a husband cheat on them, they're not angry because they cheated. They're angry because the expectation that they wouldn't cheat has been violated. Right. 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 When, you, when you're doing a great job at your job and you get fired or let go because they lay off, you don't get mad because you're laid off. You get mad because the expectation is different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> this is powerful, man. This is powerful. I can't, I mean, I, I try to keep this around an hour or so and we're literally at 56 <laughs> minutes and I feel like we just got started. So, mm. so I look, and I, I'm, I, I hate to, I'm going to ask this question when you, when you, and, and I don't mean to keep bringing this up, but like, I think that it's so powerful what you've been able to overcome. You lost your daughter 22, you said 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at some point you were able to, to move on from that, like, and, and still generated what appears to be some pretty massive success in your life. And um, I don't mean just financially, I mean, spiritually, right, right. emotionally, everything. Um, and you've spoken on stages all over the world. Um, you've written how many books? Three, four? Written two, two are still in the process. Okay. Um, and, and you've done all of this incredible stuff. How did you, because I, I've been through loss myself personally, and it took me decades to feel yeah. like, okay, I can try again without losing, right? Like, do you yeah. know what, does that make sense? Like, did, did you find sure, yourself, like, why even try? God took my daughter from me. This is ridiculous. Why would right. I even try again? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I believe that the quality of connection is going to be determined by the quality of question you ask. And I think I, I've learned to ask better questions rather than why even try again. It's like, ask a different question. Why would God take me? Ask a different question. So I learned how to frame different questions, yeah. but you know, you got to remember, I mean, you didn't, my, my bio, I mean, when I was 15, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She died when I was in high school. The only father figure that I'd ever known was a family friend. Uh, and he died of a, Drug um, my my uh, daughter was killed in a car accident. My brother committed suicide, and then my grand my granddaughter, uh, the most recent my my granddaughter died of SIDS. So I've been a a child lose a parent, parent lose a child, sibling lose a sibling, and a grandparent lose a grandchild. So that brings me to this point: how I figure every, how I create everything is. It's called, a principle I teach is called price paid. It's the price you pay. Everything you've been through in your life is the price you've paid to be who you are today, Ken. Mm. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything is the price you paid. Now, what most people I realize in studying human behavior, what I realize is that most people, um, they take that price paid and they keep reliving it and they keep asking the wrong questions. And so they take that price paid and it's a, it becomes an expense versus mm. what I teach people to do is in the, in the process I teach them is I'm going to show you how to take that price paid and make it an, an, uh, an investment and you start looking for the ROI. And so that's the thing is when we can ask a different question, we get better answers. 
when we ask a question that actually serves us and moves us forward, that's a good one. Unfortunately, most of us are like, why? How am I supposed to do this? What's going on? You know, let's ask a different question. So what might be a better question, um, when, when my daughter died, it was like, okay, so if I truly believe this is a price that I've paid, what kind of investment can I reap from this? How can I find a return on this? And it's like, maybe it's not going to be for me, but maybe it's for that person next to me that they just lost a child or they lost a child 10 years ago and they're still in the pain of it. And because now I've lost a child, I get it. You know, people come up and say, Bob, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. Good. You're saying the right thing. You don't know what to say. Don't act like you do. Just go, man, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry. End of story. We don't need a justification or rationalization on it. Right. When I'm sitting there next to somebody who's lost a child, I now have uh, an arsenal to help them with. So that's the price I paid and that's the return on investment. Or deep sorrow, deep pain, deep, you know, all of that. All these things I learned from those yeah. is the price I've paid and there's my return on investment. So that's all I do is I look and say, when I, when anything happens, what can I look, what can I learn from this? And then how can I take that and do and use it for somebody else? I, you know, I use the hashtag all the time, help others on, on, a, on a lot of my posts. It's, it's, you know, that's it, man. I, that's the secret. It's, Amen. it is. And you've got it, man. You've got it in spades. Bob, I, I, I could talk to you all day. I know that your time is incredibly valuable. I, I, I am so grateful that you came on today. Um, I have your website address scrolling across the bottom of the video. Um, everybody on planet Earth needs to be following you. So if you're watching this or you're listening to this on the podcast or the replay, make sure you go to Bob Donnell, D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. And, and, and connect with Bob, like, dude, you're, you're unbelievable. Like, thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you, man. Thank you for being on. And, and what's next for you? Anything, anything big coming for you? You know, um, I've been tour, you know, um, I left about almost three weeks ago. I have to be in Orange County every month on the third Thursday of the month for that dinner I host. Yeah. But yeah. what I realized was that that's the only time I have to be there. Everything else I can do remotely. So uh, I just went on a tour. I went and uh, started in Palms, or started in Orange County, went to Palm Springs, went to uh, Mesquite, uh, um, uh, Quartzsite, Arizona, went to Pres- um, Scottsdale, went to El Paso, Tucson, uh, San Antonio and then uh, Austin and now I'm working my way back and uh, so it's really about me going out connecting with more people talking to people I do these little coffee and conversations you know invite a couple of your friends together we'll just grab coffee and just hang out um, I'll, I'll start the conversation uh, and, and we'll go from there or um, next level by association pop-ups we're going to start doing some more pop-ups where uh, we're going to do one in Scottsdale on 27th. Uh, Sharon Lecter is going to be our guest of honor, and it's going to be wow. a blast because uh, we're going to have a great sit-down dinner with some with some great people. I, I'd really, if you if you don't mind, real quick, you you were doing you yeah. did a live stream from El Paso, Texas, from the Walmart yeah. parking lot, <clears throat> and and you told a quick story about. Um, when you went in to the Walmart where the, the shooting occurred six months earlier, right? Just six months ago. Right, correct. Um, correct. And, and so tell that story, what you said to the manager of Walmart and what happened real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the night I got there, there was a memorial there. There was a six month anniversary and a news channel uh, was there. And so, I had, I had really just wanted to always go there. I, I went to Vegas. I've gone to Saugus. I've gone to a lot of the, the crisis spots and just gone and just been a presence there is really all I do and, and just connect with people. And, um, and, and so I walked into the Walmart and I, I just asked for the manager and I said, um, you know, I just want you to know that um, you haven't been forgotten, that I'm here from California. And I just want you to know that, you know, I know it seems like life is gone back to normal for everyone else. And, and that's simply because they don't know anything else to do and they've got lives to live. But I just want you to know as a, 
a Walmart customer, um, as a human being that you and your team have not been forgotten. And, um, and I just wanted to encourage you guys. And she like looked at me and she said, wow. Um, well, what that, okay. That's thank you so much. And I go, well, um, you know, I, I think there's a thing that, um, I do this talk called price paid. And, um, you know, I think that's meaningful for you guys right now. And I said, and then just for you guys to realize that, um, man, thank you for coming back. You had a choice and probably some of them did not come back. Wow. Um, some of them quit their jobs because they couldn't stand to be in that building again. And I said, and I just wanted to thank you. And she said, could you, if I got a group of people together, would you be willing to talk to them? And I go, absolutely. So she, she <laughs> called some, some of the team members together and, and I got to give them uh, the price paid talk that I just kind of basically gave to you guys and, wow. and tell them thank you. Dude, that's you're you're an incredible, and you're not charging them. You're showing up and just doing it for free. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. Bob, I am honored and blessed to know you. Thank you so much. Likewise, sir. I I appreciate you being on. Like this is this is impacted some lives today. So thank you, thank you to everyone who's watched this and shared it out and. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Don't hang up on me, Bob. I'm going to end the live stream though. Thank you to everyone. And we will see you again very, very soon. Thanks so much, Bob. Thank you. Thank you.